Once again, we're in Romans chapter 1. If you're just tuning in with us, Romans chapter 1, we're going to read verses 8 through 17 in just a little bit. Um, but uh, we spent time last, uh, in our first episode, looking at the first seven verses. And uh, you can get the, you get the sense, you get the idea that uh, Paul is well aware that Romans is going to be a pretty special book. Uh, when he's writing this book, um, you, you get the idea that the inspiration behind him and just the work of God within him, he knew this book would be maybe the most important, uh, the most referenced, the most quoted book of the New Testament, of the Bible, uh, when it comes to what our Christian faith is all about, when it comes to what it means to be a Christian and what, it, you know, what we can do as a Christian. This book uh, really uh, gives us everything that we need. Um, if you only had the book of Romans, um, you could live a life uh, that would honor God and glorify God um, from uh, you know, learning about Jesus to walking in Jesus. This book gives you everything that you need. Um, and you get the sense that when Paul's writing it, that he knew that this book was going to be pretty special, a pretty uh, monumental addition to the canon, to the Bible, to the scriptures as a whole. And, and, and in the beginning, in the introduction of Romans, um, Paul uh, references the apostles, he references the prophets, he references the scriptures, um, he calls the entire scriptures into view, and he signals that he's about to write something that is going to be anchored in and upheld by the scriptures as a whole. That what he's about to write um, is really the culmination, the fulfillment of everything that has come before, um, of the scripture, of the events, in history that God had his hands in, all of that had been leading to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not an overstatement to say that the gospel of Jesus, according to Paul, um, is the culmination and fulfillment of the word of God in the Old Testament, the work of God through ancient Israel, and the work that he was doing in the early church. Um, Paul starts from this worldview held by the Jewish world, but even that the Gentiles would have been sympathetic to. Um, the, in the beginning, there was one God who created all, um, but was rejected by all. Um, and that one God, though he was rejected, didn't give up, didn't start over, but his holiness, his patience, his goodness, um, you know, saw, hit, saw all through uh, the rebellion and started his own nation. And through that one nation, he had a plan to redeem all the nations. Through that one nation, he would redeem all nations by sending a one savior by sending his one and only son to not just die for the sins of israel but die for the sins of the world not just to reveal him to israel but to reveal him to the whole world that god started with the whole world the whole world walked away god started with a nation through that one nation he is bringing the whole world back into his view and, and back under his voice. And, and Paul mentions all of this in his introduction because he's going to be drawing off the history of Israel, the word of God to Israel, and he builds, he's going to build on that his case for Christ. And, and the Jews already had the Old Testament or their Bible. They already believed in one God. So as he's going to reveal and present Jesus to them, he's really just going to tell them that, hey, it's the next logical step to take, that you, you already believe in the God, uh, the one true God. You already have the scriptures. All of that's been pointing to the one and only Savior who has just come and did the work of God and, and, and performed the you know, redemption um, on the cross. So to, to the Jews, he's writing as saying, hey, the next logical step for you as a Jewish person, for you as a believer in the one true God, is to put your faith in Jesus. He is the Messiah. You've been waiting. We've been waiting. 
waiting for. But to the Gentiles, um, it would be a different sort of, uh, 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 he would go with a different angle and it would be a, a challenge of sort. But the Gentiles, of course, believed in many gods, but they respected the Jews having one God. They understood the, the Jewish uh, faith uh, because there were so many in the empire. Yet the Gentiles were very intrigued by the message and story of Jesus. So Paul wants to give them a foundation for their faith and wants to explain who Jesus really was, you know, the backstory and how it was all, you know, uh, uh, previewed and all prepared for in Old Testament Israel and through the Old Testament events. Um, So he wants to ground them and give them a firm foundation, if you will. And and really, um, Paul's introduction does just that. Uh, The book of Romans gives us confidence that the Bible is a firm foundation for our faith and that Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the glue that holds it all together, that you get that from the first few verses that uh, Paul is anchoring his book. He's anchoring the Christian faith in the scriptures as they've been given before, the scriptures in Old and New Testament. He validates both Old and New Testament as God's word. He authorizes the Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church as bearing witness to the promises and powers of God. And he invites everyone to trust in God's plan and follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's his goal with the book of Romans, to give us a foundation, to put our faith in and have confidence in the word of God, the revelation of God as it's been given to us in full, to give us that firm foundation and to tell us that Israel and the church bore witness to um, what God was building up toward and what God was doing and what God did through Jesus. And he invites every one of us to trust in God's plan, to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And, And so we take Romans as this amazing document in and of itself, but it's also, it's incredibly sourced. Um, in both Old and New Testament scripture and events. And, and, and Romans serves as a wonderful cohesion and amalgamation of both the word and the work of God as recorded in the rest of the Bible. And, and, and Romans is going to guide us uh, to trust God, trust in what he has done, all of it being centered around Jesus, all of it being focused around Jesus, um, and to trust that he wants to do something with us and wants to do something for us and through us that here's the plan of God, here's the work of God, and now here's what God wants to do with you. Here's what God wants to do with and through us. And it's so important to know and be reminded that God has a plan because in times like these, we need to know more than ever that somebody has a plan, right? Um, You know, we might not know what's going on in our country, what's going on in our society, uh, but we can know what God is up to in eternity. We can know from the word and from the, the, the story from the scriptures and from the work of Jesus, we can know that God has a plan for us and that we fit into his plan. And we may not see how it's gonna work out, here and now, but we can trust that God is stringing it and is working all things together for something good, for our good, and obviously for His glory. We need that anchor in our lives right now more than ever, something beyond our small and fragile and finite worlds. Uh, the, the Bible and God's plan gives us that. Uh, but here's the awesome thing by the book of Romans, it makes it clear that this isn't just a one-way street of us reaching up and trusting in God, but it's also God reaching down and transforming us. Uh, The first part of Romans is mostly about our trusting in God's plan, but know this, trusting in God's plan means that we see all that God has done, the mark he's left on our world through his work to redeem and restore us, and, and, and we see that God wants to, to transform our lives with this good news. And, and tonight, 
We're going to look past the introduction where Paul has laid out his plan to tell um, us the gospel as it's been prepared for by Israel, previewed by the prophets, revealed in Christ, um, testified by the apostles. We know his plan. He's you know, spelled it out for us in the first few verses. Um, Paul summarizes the intent of telling this story, which is also why we should want to read the story. Uh, verse 7, we left off last time. Paul says, this is my goal for writing, my goal for wanting to visit. And this isn't just for the Roman church all those years ago. It's for us today. This is why we should want to read the Bible. It's why we should want to you know, know more about Jesus and know more about God's Word. Because God's intent toward us, Paul, as he wrote this letter, God's intent toward with the whole Bible, he says to all those who are in Rome, you're loved by God and you're called to be saints. So the reason why we should be compelled to read, the reason why we should be compelled to study and follow is because God loves us and that we're called to be somebody in his kingdom. That Paul says, hey, I'm writing to you all. The reason why I think you're, you should be interested in this is because God loves you and God has a purpose for you. He loves you and he has a calling over you. His love for us and his calling over us is a true refuge and a reliable hope in a world where we often find no refuge and no hope. You know, I'm reminded of two Psalms um, that you're all familiar with. Uh, when I think about the alternatives to God, when I think about the alternative to God's plan, the alternative way of living apart from verse seven says, we are loved by God and called by God. When I think about the alternative to living under that promise and living under that plan, there are, there's nothing that compares to the security, to the hope, to the refuge that we find in God. You know, King David wrote in Psalm 20, verse number seven, um, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we remember the name of the Lord our God as in we trust only in God. We're not going to trust in somebody else or some, something of this world. Those alternatives never uh, satisfy, never fulfill. Psalm 118 verse 8 says, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Again, the Christian hope um, gives us the only plan, the only path, the only way that gives us what our hearts are looking for, that gives us that hope and that refuge that we need so badly. You know, the, the Christian faith was introduced to a world um, at the perfect time in history. Uh, the world uh, 2,000 years ago was ripe and ready to put its faith in somebody um, besides the powers that were in charge. Uh, the Roman Empire, if you believe the propaganda and the state-ran media that published its history books, um, you would have thought it was a harmonious land of equal opportunity, but those that lived through it and those that lived in it um, would tell a different story. Um, every day and on every corner, um, they were reminded by crosses and they were reminded by idols to Caesar um, that Rome ruled with an iron fist and prioritized only a few and saw people as commodities, people as just in the way. The religions of the day didn't offer hope or optimism. The message wasn't accept, the message was accept fate and allow the gods to just play and do their thing. And maybe you'll be spared, but probably not. But you'll soon be dead and forgotten anyway. You know, Roman crosses were meant to send one message that you're this close to being erased from history. You're this close to being forgotten. You're this close to being a memory. Roman crosses were meant to scare people into line, scare people into doing whatever Rome wanted them to do, to bowing before Caesar and, and acknowledging his, you know, power and his, um, all, you know, his almightiness. But 
Jesus came. Jesus came and the message of Jesus spread like wildfire in the Roman Empire and, and, and maybe more than it would have been any other era. Um, it flew in the face. He, his message flew in the face of what Caesar uh, was putting out there, what Rome claimed. You know, Caesar claimed to be a god and he used crosses to keep everyone in line. And then Jesus came claiming to be sent by God and he took a Roman cross and he faced the horrors and the worst parts of this world and this life for us rather than just looking down and making demands that we would measure up to this or that jesus met those demands for us jesus lowered himself to a place that we would never imagine someone like him would go the gospel of jesus spread throughout rome because its basis and promise was about god's unconditional and universal love for us all of us how god values everybody in, in, in a day and age when people were considered commodities when people were considered to be less than 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 than, than, than most that was such an attractive message an appealing message it was a true message of course but the people responded to this message of unconditional universal love this message of that you're valued by god that jesus the messiah met the standards met the measure uh, demands for us he suffered like us like one of us as one of us this message was so appealing then and it's so appealing now those that put their faith in jesus let it be known that faith brought freedom from this broken world and and they had a vision to build a better world and they had confidence that there was a better world yet to come uh, if you look at romans 1 verse 8 Paul acknowledges how the Roman church had taken to this message and how they had put their faith in this message and how their faith had become famous. Verse 8 says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, of course, the world wasn't as big as it is now. It was very focused around a certain region, but I don't think he's being hyperbolic when he says the whole world, that the Roman church, the faith this church, this very this little upstart church had was being made known. It was renowned. It was famous, right? They weren't famous, but their faith was. Their faith in Jesus and the message of Jesus was famous because it was such an appealing, attractive message, and people responded to what this church was putting out. People wanted to hear more about what this church was talking about. This church at the heart of the Roman Empire uh, became famous almost immediately because their faith gave them boldness and resilience in the face of opposition and oppression. Our faith can do that for us too. And our world needs to hear from us now more than ever. Our world needs to see the church lifting its hands to God in this season. Now, it's not the season for Christians to devolve and carry water for political parties. We need to signal that our faith is in God alone. Now is not the season to become close-hearted and allow greed to control us. We need to signal that we are still open-handed, knowing that God gives and God takes, and that, that what He gives us, we're going to be good stewards with it. Now is not the season for Christians to silence their voices, but we ought to sing louder, speak more boldly, and shine even brighter. What I'm saying is there's a lot of bad news out there right now. There's a lot of bad news always out there, right? But we need to be purveyors of good news, bearers of good news, just like this Roman church was. Their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. That can still happen for us, right? 
that our faith can be spoken of throughout our communities as reminding the world, reminding our brothers and sisters, reminding those apart and those without that there is a reason that we can hold on to faith. There is a reason to believe in a better day to come. There is a God who can help and a God who is near to those that call on his name. There's a lot of bad news in our world, but the church, we have good news and we should be spreading that good news. The world needs to hear good news from us and see good news in us right now. We need to take time with our families, our coworkers, whoever you're still within close proximity to rally around what is good. It's good to be informed. It's good to watch the news. It's good to, to, you know, to, to do this and that, but Take time and rally together. Rally around God's word. Rally around the good news of Jesus Christ because that is what can drive us to continuing to lift up the beacon and to spread the message of hope. What is from God is good and and, and it ties our heart to God is good. And we ought to spend time in God's word and we ought to use our platforms to share with other people what God is doing and how he is still good to us. And and Philippians chapter 4 says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true and noble and just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's anything of virtue or anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Right now, our minds are so, are are so susceptible. Our minds are so, um, you know, open to, to, to being discouraged and to being distracted. More than ever, we need to focus on good things. I don't, I don't mean just you know, live in a fantasy world where there isn't anything wrong or things aren't bad, but it's about setting our focus and about sinking our mind with what is good that allows us to transcend what may be bad. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul says this about the church at Thessaloniki. Um, For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia, but also in every place, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So just like the church at Rome, he says to that church, or he says of that church, that their faith had been sounding abroad. There was an echo coming out of that church. That's what the, the word echo comes from, that Greek word, sounding forth or sounding off. It means to go out and to come out from. That Their faith was echoing from their church to the world that needs to be happening right now in our world from the church. I gotta ask you a question. How are you echoing God's good news right now? How are you echoing his good news every day? Right now, there's a lot of talk about the virus spreading and because of that, there's a lot of bad news spreading very quickly. But how about, and how is the church spreading something good? Yes, there, there's measures that need to be taken and there's information that needs to be spread. There's a lot of bad news though, right, that's being spread. And, and all the more, there needs to be something good spread right now. And we have the ultimate good news, don't we? Paul told a young Timothy in First Timothy, or in Second Timothy, chapter one, verse six, he says, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, fan the flame. I read something that Greg Laurie wrote the other day, so powerful. He talked about how in the days of the New Testament, um, Paul used letters to communicate his faith because that was the form he was able to use. That was the innovation of his day. Um, using letters to communicate um, was, was, you know, was, was a very innovative thing. And, and in fact, if you read verses 9 through 13, it, it's pretty much Paul just making small talk saying, hey, I, I would love to meet, meet with you in person, but circumstances are preventing me from being there. 
Sound familiar, doesn't it? That I'd love to be there, but I can't get there, and I want to come, and I'm going to come when I can, but I'm not going to give up hope. And in the meanwhile, I'm going to use the means I can to continue to minister to you, to reach out to you, and to correspond with you. In our day, right, we're facing that same, those same circumstances, and, and but Paul uses the means and innovations he had to reach people. It's just like in the days of the Reformation. Uh, thanks to the, the Gutenberg printing press, they were able to write books and they were able to print en masse pamphlets and information. That was the innovation of their day. Just like in the 50s and 60s and 70s, Billy Graham used the innovation of his day, broadcast television, to get the good news out to the world. Now listen, if you're watching this stream tonight, if you're watching this stream tonight, you have access to the innovation of our day. Right? Through your computer, through your smartphone, through any connected device, you can use it for God's glory. You can use it to spread good news because by all means, we need some good news out there, don't we? Right now, the world is full of people consuming more content than ever. YouTube and Netflix and all the platforms are reporting that their numbers are through the roof, right? Because people are wanting something to distract them from all the bad out there. Listen, the church... God wants to use the church not just to consume what's out there, but to put its own information, its own news out there, right? May we not be consumers in this time. May we be the salt and the light and the refuge we were created to be. You and your platform, the voice that you have, the opportunity you have, you can use it for God's glory as much as anybody else is using it for, God, for their own glory or their own fame or their own purposes. You know, I truly believe that now is the easiest time ever to get bold about our faith and tell the world about Jesus. You know why? Because the barrier of entry is as low as it's ever going to be, low as it's ever been. Because it's not about working the courage up to knock on somebody's door to walk up to a stranger. Right? I, I believe God can use this time to call thousands of people into the mission field because the mission field doesn't require you leaving your home. Through phone calls, through text messages, through emails, through FaceTime or Zoom or social media. It's wide open. Now more than ever, the world needs to hear some good news, needs to hear about Jesus. And you're the perfect candidate to tell them why you have hope, why you're not giving up, why you're not losing faith, why you haven't panicked or wondered if this is the end. Look at verse 14. Paul says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. 15, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul tells us that he, and I believe this goes for all believers, he tells us that he has an obligation to share the good news with everybody. Even those you didn't like, even those you didn't know, even those you didn't know if he was really capable of relating to. He had an obligation, he was in debt to, an obligation to share the good news. Now, you can go a lot of ways with this, but in light of just all the bad out there, I think we have good news. We, all, we have an obligation to share this good news. I, I reference it a lot, but there's a story in the Old Testament of, of these four lepers who um, had been uh, uh, cast out of the city because they were unclean. Um, and the city is overtaken by a, a, a famine, a time of, of, of a pandemic, much like we're facing. And they are out, the lepers are out you know, wandering the hillside and the, Samar the uh, Assyrian armies or the Syrian armies are coming up against Israel. And it's the end of Israel uh, at this, as they know it. But during the night, the lepers are, are near the Syrian camp and they notice the Syrians are in a great turmoil and a great panic. They begin fighting each other. They abandon their camp and they flee. 
And the lepers go into the camp and they begin to just take all the spoils and they eat and they drink and they're just having a good time. And then they realize before daybreak, this is not good. That we've got all this good news, we've got all this good stuff and we're using it for us. But there's a, there's a city back there that's in desperate need. And even though they cast us out, we ought to go back and share with them what we have been graciously given and, and, and church now more than ever we need to be putting good out there we need to be giving and sharing what we have that is good and, and and you know we're obligated we're obligated to bring salt and light hope and peace into every conversation we ever enter into as christians because in christ we have this sort of gift now that doesn't mean you have to always talk about jesus but it should all it should mean that we should never talk about anything that detracts from who jesus is and who we are in him Every conversation doesn't have to be a testimony or a sermon, but if it detracts from Jesus and detracts from who we are in Jesus, that's going against what it means to be in debt, to share this good news with somebody. And, and, and also, I think this means that we're forbidden to bring dread or degradation, hatred, cynicism, discord into any conversation. Christians, we should be offering better rhetoric than our world offers one another, especially that we've seen the last few years. We should be conduits of hope, refuge, grace, and truth. We should always think about what we're putting out into the world. Now more than ever, words matter. Kindness matters. Generosity matters. Thoughtfulness matters. Graciousness matters. When the conversation shifts to political debates or economic fear, you can shift the focus back to Jesus. Too often Christians sound more like political pundits or stockbrokers or fear mongers, among other things. We parrot so many outlets when we should be communicating grace and truth and parroting the Word of God. We have an opportunity to use platforms at our fingertips to put good into the world to encourage and inspire faith. Now, I'm not suggesting that we live our lives online, but I am suggesting that we spend as much time as we can rather, rather than consuming, but spend time in God's Word. Pray, study, dwell, abide in Him, and use the platforms you've got to tell the world, share and show the world the good news. Pay no attention to metrics or numbers. Pray for the seed that you put out. I love the parable that Jesus tells in Mark 4. He says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day. The seed should sprout and grow, but he himself knows not how, for the earth yields crops by itself. Our job is to put the good news out there and God will give the increase and God will bless the seed that we sow. And, and I believe the aftermath of this virus, the aftermath of this pandemic can be a story about how the faith of Christians spread like wildfire. How the church was resilient and determined to give the world hope and refuge when it was about to give up. Now this whole passage really crescendos in verse 16 and 17, and we're going to close by looking at those verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In light of what we've talked about, these verses carry so much impact. Paul attests to the work of God, that the work that God had done in him, the work that he had seen him do in so many others. By saying he's not ashamed, he's referring to the transformative effect the gospel has on a believer. 
The word shame or ashamed means to shrink or to hide. Paul is saying the gospel has caused the opposite effect in him. It's caused him to be filled with a spirit of zeal, passion, eagerness, and boldness. There's no reason to be ashamed, right? The gospel is the power of God. It changes lives. It saves lives. I mean, Paul was an enemy of the church. His heart was set on eliminating it, and Jesus stopped him in his tracks, not to kill him or punish him, but to save him and recruit him. That's the power of God that Paul knew. That's the saving power that Paul knew. Paul called himself the foremost of sinners. The power of God unto salvation changed his life. So, of course, he wasn't ashamed of it. The gravity of knowing this sort of truth made Paul feel as if there was no other choice but to share it. Because he wanted everyone to know the power that he knew. Now, an important distinction needs to be made here. It's not about power that we have at our disposal. It's about power that God works through us to change our hearts. We often underestimate just how defiant and stubborn our hearts can be. Paul testifies here that there is no way he was changing apart from an intervention of God. It's why he was so emboldened and determined in the aftermath to share this message with anybody and everybody. Listen to Paul talk about his own conversion in 1 Corinthians 15. Last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due season, for I am the least of the apostles who am not called worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. I labor more abundantly than anyone, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Paul says, yeah, I've done a lot for the church, but it was only what God has done through me because apart from him, I am the lowest of low. I'm the least of all. I persecuted the church. And yet look what God has done with me. The grace of God can do the same work through any of us if we just trust in him. Jesus' resurrection shows us there's two things about the nature of salvation, though. Apart from the power of God, we're stuck in the grave. Apart from God's power, we are stuck in the grave. But through the power of God, the stone can roll away and we can start a new day and new life. Verse 17 tells us this new life is one that is based on faith and live by faith. The just shall live by faith, it tells us. We live by faith in God's power working through us and God's power working for us. Now, Faith does not make us perfect. It doesn't make us bulletproof. But it is perhaps the biggest sign, or perhaps the biggest sign that someone has faith is their resilience, their determination, their conviction. They have a reason. They have a purpose. Their life matters. Your life matters to the kingdom of God. And faith gives us that desire and that ambition to live for and that want to live for His glory. Faith doesn't preclude failure, but it enables comebacks. It enables resurrections. Proverbs 24, verse 16, I love this verse. For a righteous man may fall seven times, but he rises again. Faith keeps us going, no matter what kind of trouble we face. Because faith knows that God is bigger than the trouble. Faith doesn't worry when things look bad, because faith knows that just because you can't see heaven, it's still there. Faith says get back up when it falls. Faith says it's not over. God's not done, and you're not either. 
Faith says there's power and there's resurrection. Faith says there's a purpose and there's redemption. This isn't about having faith that allows us to assume control, but it's faith that allows us to trust that God is in control and that he is powerful and that he is able to lead us through whatever we face. Christians, this season could be a defining moment for us, as in we can lead the world by faith. We can walk by faith before a world that sits in darkness and a world that waits for answers. We can lead and walk by faith and show that we have a God who is with us and for us and who will not let us down. Any that put their faith in him will not be disappointed, will not be put to shame. If you're not ashamed of the gospel, if you know what the gospel can do for our world because you've experienced what it can do for you, you know that now more than ever the world needs to hear, the world needs to know Jesus May it be said of our churches, as verse 8 says, may, our, may the faith of our churches be spoken of throughout our communities. May the hope that we put out into the world inspire people, in spite of all the bad news, to trust and believe in the good news. To trust in the power of God that can transform hearts, that we would live by faith and show the world that even though it doesn't look good, we're looking to God. And it all looks good from his perspective. The world needs to see faith that doesn't wait for answers, but that walks knowing that God has the answers. And we can keep walking and we can keep rising up against whatever trouble we face. Even if we get knocked down, we got a reason to get back up. Because he's not going to let us down. And he's not going to leave us hanging. Church, I hope this was encouraging. I hope it was also inspiring to you tonight. Uh, those verses are very famous, very powerful. May we have that same boldness that Paul had, the same boldness that the Roman church had. May we put some good news into our world in the next week. May we put some good news out there. Use your platform. Pick up the phone. Uh, pull up an email. Use your social media platform. Use whatever ability you have. Put the good news of Jesus on blast because I promise you now more than ever, people want to hear it. People need to hear it. People need to see it. And you can give it to them. God wants to use you to shine that light to somebody's heart. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, how it centers us and anchors us in you. Thank you for giving us good to depend on when there's so much bad around us. Lord, in this season, we believe the mission field is wide open. The need is as great as ever. We thank you for the platforms you've given us, the opportunities before us each day to shine your light, to show your love, to share the hope and refuge you've given to us. Father, thank you for the transformative power of the gospel, how it can save a sinner like me. And may you continue to do a work within me that I can testify to your ability to change any heart. Lord, help me not to be shy or be ashamed of the greatest gift. Help us not to be ashamed of this greatest gift. Lord, use us to make the Christian faith famous, to grow the kingdom of God, to build the church of God up to what you want us to be. A house of refuge, a fountain of hope, a conduit of good news. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.